Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you. all of you on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, whatever live you're on this morning. Really glad you're with us. Thank you for finding us. It means a lot that you would be a part of this worship service. Uh, Woodburn folks who are still uh, virtually joining us, you are gathered with us, and we love you, and you're faithful, and we thank you for your faithfulness. Next year's going to be different, y'all. I'm predicting it. We can't have another year like this. We will all be together soon. But for now, we're together this way, and, uh, and we accept that. Glad that you're with us. Open your Bibles to John chapter 10. John 10, this morning kids said, Pastor Tim, you got bouncy toys on the stage. I said, yeah, well, you know, we're using them as decorations, you know, because we are. Y'all, like, he's talking about these, like, bouncy ball toys. Y'all, know, y'all put that together. Y'all know that's what those are, right? Have you imagined, you know, if they come down and we could go to town on them? Uh, but the kid says, you got bouncy toys on the stage. I said, well, yeah, we're using them as decorations. He said, well, they're not real. I said, well, they are real, you know, but we use them as decorations. He said, they're not decorations, they're bouncy toys. I said, yeah, but, you know, you ever got in an argument with a kid that you're never going to win? He said, well, they're not real. I said, well, yeah, they are real. He said, no, no, they're not real. They're bouncy toys. And you have presents on the stage, and they're not real either. I said, well, they're decorations. He said, but they're not real. But the trees are real. So go figure, y'all. I mean, you know, it's, sometimes you just got to agree to disagree, I guess. Who knows what he means by all that? But uh, he spent a lot of time in worship thinking about what was real and what wasn't real. Uh, how many Dolly fans in the house? Dolly Parton fans. Lift your hands. Come on. Make some noise. Dolly Parton fans. What am I saying? Everybody's a Dolly Parton fan. I mean, why would I even ask who the fans are? Dolly Parton is the one universal person who brings everybody together. Everybody loves Dolly. She's 100 years old. She's been around my whole life. She's been around everybody's whole life. She's just always been here. And she's always been Dolly. Breakfast, lunch, and supper, she has been Dolly. And people love her. People love Dolly Parton. And and I'm not making a joke out of her. At one time, I thought she kind of was a joke because she's a whole lot, y'all. I mean, she's a lot. But like 2007, she put out an album, I think, called Little Sparrow, and it was amazing, y'all. Dolly Parton's album, Little Sparrow, has a cover of the collective soul song, Shine, that's just amazing. I mean, that's when I realized this woman is really, she's the real deal, y'all. She's really talented. But uh, I digress. Dolly Parton is a unifying figure. Everybody loves her. I mean, in a nation right now that is divided by every kind of political figure, by every kind of agreement or disagreement, by masks and no masks and the virus and all of this, everybody agrees that Dolly's awesome. I mean, you got you to agree with that. Y'all, I mean, for example, y'all know she gave a million dollars of her own money for the COVID vaccine that comes out tomorrow. Like Dolly Parton gave a million dollars of her own money early in the year for COVID vaccine research. So when you get that vaccine, you got Dolly to thank for it. Understand? She's, she's actually an amazing person. And I'm not the first one to say that. There are lots of people who really, really are very devoted to Dolly. There's a woman, her name is Thomasina Thomasina Beiser, who is a 60-something-year-old employee at Dollywood. Dollywood is the amusement park that Dolly Parton built. Anybody been to Dollywood? Man, you people go everywhere. I've never been to Dollywood. Dollywood in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Thomasina lived in New Jersey. Thomasina Beiser was at this point a middle-aged woman 
who was on, I think, five different medications for blood pressure and for anxiety and depression, five medications. And she was really kind of a woman, fragile, falling apart. But at some point in her mid-years, she took the trip from New Jersey to Dollywood. She went to Dollywood one time, and that's when she discovered Dolly Parton. She went back home to New Jersey, started listening to Dolly Parton music, and within just a matter of time, she was able to go off of all of her medication. Like She went off all five medications because she says Dolly saved her. When the doctor said, I don't understand, I don't understand how you don't need this medicine anymore, Thomasina said, I can tell you what happened, Dolly saved me. So she started making trips to Dollywood to Pigeon Forge about six or seven times a year from New Jersey to Pigeon Forge. And finally she decided, why am I doing this? I just want to be at Dollywood. So she left her life in New Jersey. She moved to Pigeon Pigeon Forge and now she lives and works at Dollywood. She says that Dollywood is for her. Y'all, I don't make any of this stuff up. This is all true. Dollywood is for her, she calls it a, a peace haven. A haven of peace. It's a refuge for her. And she's not the only one. When she got to Pigeon Forge, she found that there are hundreds of Dollywood employees that feel the very same way. They all say, Dolly, save them. Save them. Thomasino wrote a letter finally to Dolly just to say how much she changed her life, how much she appreciated her, her, her life change. And of course, Dolly never answered her back. And Thomasina said she didn't expect her to write her back because she knows that Dolly's busy. And she is busy. Hundreds of employees say that Dolly has saved their lives. There are thousands of people in Pigeon Forge who say the same thing. I mean, understand, when the fires that came through that area several years ago and people lost their homes, Dolly Parton gave, I think, like each family, like $5,000 of her own money like for those to help them rebuild. People love her. They love her. And in her hometown, in that area, people are very devoted to her. They say that Dolly saved them. Now, I don't tell you all of that to make a joke of it, because like I say, I happen to come to the conclusion that Dolly's a pretty extraordinary person. But I don't really understand the level of that devotion, literally to say that a human being, that a person saved you, saved you, that Thomasina can go off her medication because of Dolly and her music. Working nine to five. I mean, you know, y'all feeling better? I I don't really understand all of that. The only explanation I have, though, is just simply to say everybody needs a Savior. Everybody wants a Savior. It's just the fact. It's, It's human nature. Everybody needs, everybody wants a Savior. And whether you like it or not, if you haven't found the Savior, you're going to continue to look for a Savior and people look to, people, to figures like Dolly Parton or political figures or romantic partners, spouses, parents. I'm telling you, you can look all over this world looking for a Savior that you will not find because there is only one. Preaching a sermon series entitled, Call His Name. Understand, when the angel was talking to Joseph, the angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now, Jesus is not an uncommon name. I mean, it is common. Uh, in, in the Hebrew language, it's Yeshua. If you know, ever know anybody named Joshua, it's the same name. 
Joshua is the same name as Jesus and lots and lots of Jesus, you know, in the world. It's not a name that other people don't have. It's actually a common name. The name Jesus is a common name. And yet at the same time, it is the name above all other names. Not because nobody else has ever been called Jesus, but because Jesus actually fulfills the mission that is contained in the name. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, the name Jesus, Yeshua, it means God saves. God saves. And Jesus is the only one who had that name, who wore that name, who bears that name. And the reason that it is a name above every other name is because he is the Savior. When the angel said, call his name Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. He will save. He will save. This is the Savior. So understand, his name is Jesus. He is the Savior that you're looking for and that the whole world is looking for. All you got to do is call his name. Now, when we talk about the names of Jesus, understand, every single one of these names and any other name that you could add to my list, these names all tell a story. These names tell the same story, that they tell the story of the one who was in all eternity God himself. He was God. He is God. Jesus and God are the same. Jesus' actions are God's actions. Jesus is God. He is the Lord. So every time we use his name, we end up telling the story because God comes down. This is the Christmas story. It is the plan of salvation. It is everything you need to know about salvation. God comes down. God comes down, and he comes down in the person that we call Jesus. So literally, what we're saying is the Son of God, that's his name, right? Son of God becomes the Son of Man. Understand, the movement in that, the self-emptying, he comes down. The Son of God becomes the Son of Man. The Creator steps into his creation. The Word becomes flesh and blood. The light invades the darkness. The light shines in the darkness. Bread comes down from heaven. The living water himself becomes thirsty. The one who gives breath to everything that ever breathes, he himself breathes his last breath. This is what we're talking about. The one who gives life to everything himself gave up his life. And the shepherd, the shepherd becomes the lamb. Understand? There's always the movement. There's always the, the movement toward us. There's always the giving up of his glory for the sake of saving us. God comes down. The shepherd becomes the lamb. That's what I want us to talk about today. Jesus, the shepherd, who becomes the lamb. John chapter 10 is where we are. Now, I don't have to tell you smart people, John chapter 10 comes after what? John chapter 9. There you go. I went to seminary for that, you all. John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, what happens? Yeah, John chapter 9 is a really amazing story, one of Jesus' great signs in the book of John. Jesus heals the man born blind. This man was born blind. It's a very public healing and a very controversial healing. It's a great story. All through John chapter 9, Jesus gives sight to a man who had never seen, a man born blind. So John chapter 10 is a continuation. In John chapter 10, Jesus is now preaching, teaching, talking to the very same people who saw him give sight to the blind man. That's just important because when we get to verse 21, that's going to come up. So just understand, they've seen him give sight to the blind, and now they hear what he says in John chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 11. Pay close attention to the name, the name Jesus calls himself in John chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 11. 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again for this is what my father has commanded. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said, he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'd just be really... Um, I'll just be really honest with you. I need a shepherd. Now, when I say I need a shepherd, I know that that implies that I have weakness. And I will acknowledge and admit that I have weakness. And I need a shepherd. I need strength for my weakness. And that strength is not in me. And I want to be strong and I want to act strong. And I don't like saying in front of people that I'm weak, but I need a shepherd. In my life, I am constantly, constantly feeling that I am in way over my head. I personally battle anxiety, panic attacks. And in those moments, I need a voice that can speak peace into my soul. I'm just saying I need a shepherd. I, I can't speak for you. But I think you need a shepherd too. Now, when I say that, it suggests that you got weakness that you probably don't want to admit or acknowledge. But my hunch is you need a shepherd too. I don't think you have the same weaknesses I have, but I have an idea that you also sometimes feel like you're in way over your head with your life. You make promises, you know, that you can't keep, no matter how hard you try. You've probably been looking for a shepherd for a long time. Problem is we, we look for people to, to fill that role, you know, so we attach ourselves to Dolly. Or, or somebody else who seems bigger and larger than life because we want someone just, you know, larger. Maybe in your life you thought that you would be a person, so it was, you know, a friend, a friends, a circle of friends in high school or college, and then you find out that life moves on and so do your friends. You know, friends kind of last for a season, but there just aren't a lot of friends that stick around forever. And if you think that you'll find a friend who's just going to walk with you through your whole life, 
And, and then some of us, you know, we, it's a romantic partner, you know, so you're always looking for another girl, you know, some girl who's going to just light your fire and uh, fill you up. And that's why you just go from girl to girl to girl to girl because you're asking a human being, a person, just an ordinary woman to be something that she was never created to be. It's, you know, same way with ladies who just continue to look for a man that, that's going to, you know, be, be the one who can keep their heart, you know. But as it turns out, no man is completely trustworthy with your heart. You think maybe your parents will be that, you know, because, you know, your parents are always there. Like all your life, your parents are there. But you understand one day you bury your parents. I mean, that's just the, the, the normal order of life. You, you bury your parents. So like it or not, at some point, you're still going to be an orphan. I, I mean, no matter how old you are when they're gone, you're an orphan. And if you thought that you would always pick up the phone and call your father, I mean, your father won't always be at the other end of a phone. It may take you a certain amount of time to realize that, but sooner or later, you get to that point in life. When even the people that you could count on, they, they just can't be there forever. They'll never be there forever. I'm telling you, you need a shepherd in, in the worst possible kind of way, the most desperate way. You need a shepherd. I do too. And, and this is the good news. Jesus steps out, looks at the people, and he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the shepherd. I am your shepherd. I am the shepherd for your heart. My sheep know me, and I know my sheep, and I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. So when I hear Jesus say that, like, that sounds like good news to me. Like, there's no part of that that I don't want to hear. I mean, honestly, I want that. I need that. I want protection. I want light in the darkness. I want a guide for life. I want a shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the shepherd. But when Jesus says, I am the shepherd, you got to notice that the crowd who hears that, they don't receive that well. So they must have heard something we didn't hear. But one way or the other, you got to understand, verse 19, when he said these things, the people were divided in their opinions about him. Some said, he's demon-possessed. He's out of his mind. Why listen to a man like him? They didn't hear it the way you and I hear it. They must have heard something else. And I want you to understand, they probably did hear something else that, that you and I miss. And, and I want you to understand probably what they hear. Now, honestly, I read more verses, but verses 14 and 15 have it all. Everything. Jesus says everything in these two verses right here. It is all here. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. It's all there, y'all. Everything is there, right there. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now, when you hear Jesus say that, you're probably just thinking, oh, Jesus is using an agricultural metaphor. Jesus is comparing himself to somebody who keeps animals. And, and well, that, that sounds so nice. Like somebody who keeps cows or, or maybe keeps sheep. You know, you've seen animal, you know, husbandry all of your life. I have too. And so I, I can understand that Jesus is using an analogy that we can all understand. I'm like a shepherd. I, I, I care for my flock. I lead them and I feed them. And we can relate to that. We're country people. That's the redneck. We, in Woodburn, we call this the redneck section. Y'all know you're in there. Like that's the whole redneck section. I don't have to explain country things to country people. I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says. And we all say, well, we know what shepherds are. But you've got to understand how they hear it. 
This is a Jewish audience. They know their Old Testament. Half of this audience has the Old Testament memorized. Like memorized. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, they don't just think, oh, he's using an agricultural metaphor. He's speaking of animal husbandry. No, they know good and well. He's using biblical language. He's speaking the language of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, this is God language. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, immediately their minds go back to the Bible. Their minds go back to any of those verses, and we could do this all day. Psalm 95, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. We are the sheep of his hand. All through the Old Testament, God is the shepherd of his people. God is the shepherd. Isaiah chapter 40, he will guide his people. He will lead his people like a flock. He will gather the lambs into his arms and hold them close to his heart. Isaiah chapter 40. I mean, it's all through there. God is the shepherd, and, and the people are the, 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 the sheep of his pasture. This is his Old Testament language. It's God language. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Understand? This is the language of God. It's Old Testament language, and they understand that. So when Jesus says to this Jewish audience, I am the good shepherd, he's not just making a metaphor, not just an analogy so they understand. He's making a claim. This is a claim. It is a claim to be the shepherd, the shepherd of God's people, which is a claim to be God himself. They understand this. And they're a little bit shocked and rattled by this. How can anybody stand up and say that they are the shepherd of God's people? The only person who can say, I am the shepherd of God's people is God. I am the good shepherd. And he goes on because, you know, Jesus, he doesn't know when to stop. So he keeps right on going. Now, pay attention. What's the most important word in these verses? I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. He keeps going back to one word. What's the word? No. He keeps saying the word no. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. He keeps using this word no. Now, what does he mean by it? Again, for us, we just think of the English word no. And for us, the English word no just means that there are some facts that I'm familiar with, and if I need to recall them, I typically can because I know them. You're saying, I know my name, I know my phone number, I know your address. And so we think of you know, knowledge as just you know, a rehearsal of facts that we store away in our, in our brains, right? Is that fair to say? But what Jesus is saying here, the word he's using, the language he's using is so much more than that. Again, it's, it's biblical language. And the word Jesus uses is, is much more intimate. It's more like, like in the Bible, literally, when it says, Adam knew his wife and she bore him a son. 
I I shouldn't have to draw you pictures so that you understand that Jesus is using the language of, of intimate relationship here. Not just, you know, familiarity with facts stored away in the brain. We're talking about experiential, firsthand knowledge, close relationship. The relationship that comes from walking and talking and knowing a person. You hearing me? So Jesus uses this word over and over and over, and they understand the claim that he's making. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep. They know me. Understand, God is the shepherd of this flock. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and they know me. My sheep know me, and I know them. Jesus says earlier in the chapter, my sheep, they hear my voice. They know my voice. They'll follow my voice. There are probably not very many people in this whole world that you know their voice. Like you could pick them out with your eyes closed in, 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 a, in a room full of a thousand people. If they were talking, you'd know the voice because you're familiar. That's, that's firsthand knowledge. That's relationship. And Jesus says, I know my sheep like that. They're familiar with my voice. They know me just as, here we go, my father knows me and I know the father. See, he's not just saying, you know, like, you know, we're all God's children and, and y'all know God like I know God. No, no, this is a claim. This is not something everybody could say or not something everybody would say. Jesus says, the Father knows me. He knows me. We're talking about an intimate knowledge, a close relationship. We're talking about something exclusive here. Not everybody can say what Jesus says here and nobody else would say, and I know the Father. First-hand experience, close relationship. You understand? The only person who could say, I know the Father, is somebody who's been with the Father from all eternity, who came from the Father and is going to return to the Father. I mean, this is a claim. It's a claim. And the people who listen to Jesus, they understand the claim. They get it. That's why they say, "Mm, he's demon-possessed. He's demon-possessed demon because you can't say that. I mean, if, you, if, if you're saying I'm the good shepherd and, and the Father knows me, you're making a claim. You're making a claim that, that you're God. And everybody knows there's only one God, and it, and it can't be you if you're standing here talking to me. You must be from the devil, demon-possessed. Or if you ain't demon-possessed, you're just crazy. You're just crazy. There's bound to be medication for whatever it is, but you're crazy because you can't say that. And, and who's going to listen to a crazy person? I mean, this is their response. And it's logical. That's logical. Somebody who makes these claims, somebody who says this, they got to be either from the devil to confuse people, to lead people astray, or, or, or maybe just crazy. But there's one other explanation. There's one other option. So there's people in the crowd that said, yeah, but it doesn't sound like something a demon would say. And can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So it could be from the devil or it could just be crazy. Or the other option is he's telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth, then understand something. Jesus is the shepherd, the good shepherd. It's Jesus. And he knows you. And and you 
you can know him. Are you understanding this? And he comes from the Father. The Father knows him, and he knows the Father. There's an intimate relationship here with the Father that, that no human being can claim. I mean, either he's crazy, or he's from the devil, or he's telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth, then understand, he comes from the Father, he will return from the Father. This is who he is. He's the Son of God that becomes the Son of Man. He's the Creator that steps into creation. He's the Word that becomes flesh and blood. He's the light that invades the darkness. He's the bread that comes down from heaven. He's the living water that himself becomes thirsty. He is the one who gives breath to everything that breathes, and he gives up his last breath. He's the one who gives life to everything that lives, and he gives up his own life. He is the good shepherd. He is the shepherd. So notice, notice what else he says over and over and over because it's just so interesting. I'm the good shepherd, verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He sacrifices his life. He's going to say that over and over and over. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep. They know me. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life. I'm going to say it over and over and over. Nobody can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and to take it up again. This is what the Father has commanded. I lay my life down for the sheep. What's he saying? You're saying, Pastor Tim, he's using an agricultural metaphor because that's what good shepherds do. A good shepherd is going to protect the flock, and, and you're right, a good shepherd would. And this is what Jesus, is part of what he's saying here. A shepherd's job is to protect the flock. If you're the shepherd of the flock and there's a wolf coming, it's your job to fight the wolf. Put your life on the line. You got to risk your life because if you don't do that, if like you're like, ah, and you run, first time a wolf comes, then where are the sheep? You know, scattered, destroyed by the wolf. I mean, you understand, the shepherd stays there because he's got a flock to defend. He lays down his life for the sheep. I mean, that's just how shepherds work. But Jesus is saying something more. He understands that you understand that, but he wants you to understand something more. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I sacrifice my life. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life. Nobody takes it from me. I have the power to lay my life down and take it up again. This is what the Father has commanded. It's what the Father has commanded. So one way or the other, this is the Father's plan. God's up to something. Remember, Jesus is God in the flesh, so the actions of Jesus are the actions of God. God has a plan. The Father has commanded this. So what's the Father's plan? The Father's plan is that the shepherd becomes the lamb. You with me? So the angel speaks to Joseph and says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, which means God saves, because he will save his people from their sins Hold that thought because in John chapter 1, when John the baptizer looks out and sees Jesus coming, he says what? Behold, he calls him a, he calls him a name. Remember the name? Behold the 
Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who does what? He takes away the sins of the world. God has a plan. It's his plan of salvation. And God's plan from the very beginning was to save us, to save his people from their sins. And that plan is played out in Jesus, in the life and death of Jesus. He is the shepherd who becomes the lamb. He lays down his life for the sake of saving us. The shepherd becomes the lamb. Now, let's talk it through. You have to understand that sin must have its penalty. This is just life. I mean, this is just foundational. You just got to know that sin has its penalty, and the wages of sin is death. The penalty of sin, the consequences of sin, sin always brings death. It's just a fact. Sin brings death. Now you're saying, Pastor Tim, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner. Okay, I know I'm a sinner. I make a lot of mistakes, but I don't think I deserve death. I probably deserve a timeout. Like that's what some of us think. Like my my sin's not that great. I'm a pretty good person. You know, I I got A's and B's in college, you know, and people like me. I don't even speed. You know, I've never cut that tag off of my mattress that says do not remove. I mean, I'm a good person. I'm just good. And, And I'm not arguing with you. You're probably a really, really, you know, good person. But but the fact is you you remain a sinner. You say, but Pastor Tim, my sins are small. But I'm telling you, you know, your sin and the penalty for sin is not really determined by, you know, how big a sinner you are. You are a sinner. And the fact that your sin warrants the penalty is not so much the size of your sin, but the greatness of the God against against whom you've sinned. Your sin may seem small, but I'm telling you, his holiness is infinite. You have sinned against a God of infinite holiness infinite holiness and that is why your penalty your punishment is severe it's death it's it's just the spiritual life this is the truest thing you need to understand life doesn't grade on the curve you don't compare yourself to other people and say i'm a pretty good person compared to other people no 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 it's god's standard of holiness that's measuring you and against that standard we all fall short and the wages of sin is death so all through the scriptures, understand that there must be death, death for sins. So in the worship of the ancient people of God, they would act that out. Something had to die. Something had to bleed. Blood had to be shed. Without the shedding of blood, they say there's no remission, no forgiveness of sins. And so they would bring animals, goats, bulls, lambs to sacrifice, to take the place of the worshipers, knowing that no lamb, no goat, no bull could ever take away the sins of the world. They were just simply acting this out, remembering that the wages of sin is death and they needed a savior in the worst, most desperate possible way. So understand, one more thing. Here's the thing about God. He is a God of ultimate justice and his justice will be served. But he's also a God of love. He is a God of infinite, infinite love. And God loved us and was unwilling that any of us should live or die apart from him. He loves us. Knowing that we're sinners and knowing that, that the condemnation, the sentence of death that hangs over our head is just. And it's just as it was. His love was still sure and infinite and certain, and he was not willing to let us die for our own sins. So what does God do? An amazing thing. An amazing thing. God himself comes down. 
The shepherd becomes himself the lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. If there must be someone who dies for sins, God says, let it be me. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, into the world so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God is a God of love. So he satisfies his perfect love and his perfect justice by doing exactly what we say he does in Jesus. In Jesus, God himself pays the full penalty for the sin of the world. On the cross of Jesus, understand, the shepherd becomes the lamb. Why would he do that? I mean, I know the answer is because he loves us, but how does he love us? In, in his greatness, from his majesty, I mean, as the creator of everything, I mean, the, the multiverse, how does he even notice us? I mean, our smallness? And the fact that not only does he know, notice us, but that we are the object of his affection. He loves us. Object of his attention, he never takes his eye off of you. It's amazing that he loves you so much. Do you understand that he does? Talked about that longing for a shepherd. I understand that. I get that. I'm just here to tell you that your heart has a shepherd, and his name is Jesus. He is the shepherd of your soul. He's the shepherd who becomes the lamb, the lamb that takes away your sins so that you can have this right relationship with him. You don't have to live under the sentence of condemnation. You can live in the grace and mercy that comes through Jesus. He's your shepherd. He's your shepherd, which means Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus makes me to lie down in green pastures. Jesus leads me beside still waters. Jesus restores my soul. Jesus leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Jesus prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. You understand? He's the shepherd that becomes the lamb. He's the shepherd, the keeper of your heart. So what this means Whatever it is that you need, no matter how near or far away God seems to you, all you ever have to do is call his name. Pray with me. Jesus, when you were on earth and you looked over the city, and you saw the people, your heart was broken because you said that they looked like sheep without a shepherd. So God, I know that when you look down upon us today, 
your great heart must break in the very same way because when you see us, Lord, when you look at our lives, it is obvious, Lord, we live like sheep without a shepherd. Lord, so many of us just wander in the wilderness, wander in the darkness, wander through the mess and mistakes of our life, Lord. We need a guide through this. We need light in our darkness, Lord, but we have no shepherd. We have no keeper for our heart. God, we look to other people. We try to find someone who would watch over us, who would care for us, who would love us, who would stay beside us, Lord, but there is no person with hands large enough to keep our hearts. Lord, when you look down, we know that your great heart breaks because you love us and because you and you alone are the keeper of our hearts, the shepherd of our soul. So, Lord, I just pray for people in this house and the sound of my voice today, Lord, every heart that continues to wander lost, afraid, lonely, confused, angry, unforgiven, guilty, ashamed, just pray, Lord Jesus, that we would hear you call our name. You call our name. The shepherd who knows us, who calls us, Lord, help us to hear you and run to you and surrender to you, Lord, that we should not have to live our lives lost, broken, wandering. Oh, Lord Jesus, you and you alone are the shepherd of our hearts. So keep us, lead us, guide us. Help us to know you to know the sound of your voice and to follow you wherever you lead. Lord, we know we need a shepherd. We know that you are the shepherd, Lord. We confess that we're not very good at following you, but we ask you, Lord, to draw us close to you today like lambs in your arms, sheltered. Help us to know the shelter of your great arms, the tender sound of your peaceful voice and the strength that comes, Lord, when we know that you Guide us through life as a shepherd. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Amen. In this house.